And thank you for watching over us. And thank you, O God, for your desire to use us. For we can say, truly, great is our God, and greatly to be praised. We can say, Lord, truly, you are magnificent, and you are the one who strengthens us, and you're the one who gives us the ability to perform and to do. Lord, remove from us of all the distractions that somehow grab hold to our lives that keep us from focusing on you. Lord, you work. Magnify yourself in us. Use us for your glory. And Lord, as we journey with you, let not these fleshly things that happen to us overpower us, whereby we are not focused upon you. And Lord, we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You have to come to that place where you really realize, boy, I'm going to focus on God. If you're not going to focus on God, you're going to be overwhelmed by the things of the flesh. You're going to be caught up in fear. You're going to be caught up in the things that you feel you cannot do. But if your focus is on the work of God, it changes you. It changes you. And when you lose that focus, you have to ask this question. Do I have a hole in my pocket? I'm going to put it another way. I have a hole in my heart that cannot be filled by material things. Amen. And oftentimes we think they can. Doing the work of the Lord, we can become confused over our priorities. Now, God gave me Elaine not to neglect her. But sometime when me and the Lord are in deep thought and I'm in the basement, I'll hear from the top of the steps, Gus! And, I, and I'm trying to write down or do exactly what me and the Lord are discussing or talking. Gus! You know? And then I stop to see what she wants, but then trying to get back to where I'm at can be very difficult. But God put her in my life, so I need to pay attention to her also. And over the years and through this marriage, she has come to understand, in a sense, God is preeminent. God is first. That doesn't mean she don't take care of me. But in her life, God is first. In my life, God is first. And when it comes to doing the work of the Lord, God has to be first. So when she tells me, I'm going to mission to do a Bible study, I'm doing over here to do a Bible study, God's first. Not staying home with me, comforting me, unless I'm really sick of something. God's first. 
God's opened that door for her to minister. And same thing with me. God's opened that door. And we get confused about our priorities in life. What is first? What has God really called me to do? First. And we can get confused over the priorities by the other things that take place in life that draws us away from Him and from His work. Secondly, doing God's work can be supposed to be lost in the course of life. We can lose it on our journey, on our way, and the troubles that we have in life, and the things that we're after in life, that somehow all that stuff God can get lost in. And we kind of lose sight of Him and sight of His will for our life and what He wants us to do because we're so busy living. We're so busy trying to put life together for ourselves that we lose Him. Not understanding He has a plan for our life. Not understanding He'll direct my going and my coming. Not understanding, he'll put people in my life that he wants me to minister to or to help. Not understanding, the moment I open my eyes, the one who kept me all night has a plan for me this day. And oftentimes when we plan our day, guess who's planned out of it? God is. God is. So in the course of life, we can wind up losing him. He winds up being lost in our lives until a crisis really happened. Now, Haggai's words are words to challenge. But they're also words that reveal the weakness of the people at that time. It reveals why they're not really interested in the things of God and His work. And they're natural things that come upon us in life. And Haggai has to bring it back to their attention that God's work is preeminent. That God's work is first. Being obedient to God is Pertinent, primary, before anything else. The work of God. Sometimes we even get to the point and say, I've done that. I did that. I've served my time. When God takes your last breath, you have served your time in serving the Lord. But until that happens, you still have a work to do. You have something God wants you to do other than just seeing about who? Yourself. The things that hinder us, and we're going to see them. Carelessness about the matters of God. And most of us don't think we're careless about the things of God. But we are. There's times I'm careless about Elaine. The other day she was up in the room and she said, let's go for a walk. 
we didn't get a half a block. I mean, now, I was ready to lay down and just rest. But I said, she's asking to go for a walk, so we'll go for a walk. We're going to go look for some ice cream. We got a half a block. And she said, my leg is hurting me. And I let's push this thing, girl. Let's keep going and get this. But caring about her says, turn around. Let's go back. The, the thing is, sometimes we're careless with the things that God has given to us and put in our hands that should be very important. But we become very laxed and careless with it. And then when we lose it, we have nobody to blame but who? Yeah. Because we've been careless about it. Rather than really seeing its importance. We somewhat have ignored it and neglected it. And then when we lose it, we want to blame other folks. When I'm the one who was careless about this thing. Now, number two, the sincerity of your heart. Are you really sincere about the things of God? Are you sincere? And see, you're the only one who can search your heart. And you're the one who has to say that you're sincere about this. And when you put your hand to the plow, the Lord says your heart ought to be sincere because you're not going to be looking backwards. If you're looking backwards, you're really not sincere about what you're doing. Because the moment you look back, you lose sight of what he has for you. But when the heart is sincere, it looks only forward. It fixes its eyes on that goal, on that thing. And it gives it full attention to it. Because they're sincere. The third thing is our leisure time. All of us think we have a right to be lazy. Because we feel we have worked enough. We've done enough. The leisure time is more important than God's work. And we do get tired. But that is a sign that you're still alive. That's all. And the body gets tired. And when you're called to your eternal rest, you can rest. But until that time, your time really is God's time. And the things of God should matter. And you should be putting that first and going after it. And God will give you your leisure time because we even see Jesus when he says to the disciples, let's come apart. We've labored. Now let's come apart. And God will do that for you. He'll even open the doors for you. It would be surprising how he blesses you. Because he said, come apart and rest. Because he's watched us work. And believe this, he'll never put more upon you than what you can what? Yes. 
He won't ask you to do more. But our leisure gets in the way of God's work. Our playing gets in the way of God's work. Our entertainment, as Melvin was talking in Sunday school class about football, that's entertainment. Now put that temporal thing against an eternal thing. And which one is more important? But our leisure to us is that we've earned it. I have a right to relax. I have a right to kick my shoes off. I have a right to lean back. I have a right to entertain myself. No, you're on God's clock. I'm on God's clock. And those things of God should matter deeply to us. And it ought to be a sincere heart. Then our comfort. Our comfort is more important than God's comfort. Our comfort is more important than God's comfort. Something that I'm beginning to reap a blessing from is that, and it's not me, it's just the Lord, the way he helped train our kids. Our kids are more sometimes worried about me and mom's comfort than their own comfort. They kind of like watch over us. They'll even tell us sometimes, you need to stop. They become the parent, we become the child. But they're doing it with eyes of comfort. They're doing it with the idea you shouldn't do too much because of your age. They're doing it with a cautiousness. Dad, you shouldn't be up on that roof. I know what I'm doing. Y'all hush up, huh? Isn't that right, Miss Debbie? We don't give away all our secrets. <laughs> but we talk about our comfort over God's comfort. Now, at the time of building the temple... There was Haggai, Zechariah, Zacharias, that were prophets, even back with Ezra, that was talking about the temple. And these are leaders. And I'm just going to go through Ezra real quick here, just a couple of verses. That God says he wants to build his temple. And God had used Gentile kings of the Persians to provide everything they have need of in order to build the temple. But what was not removed was, number one, the fear of the people of the people around them. The kings couldn't really remove that fear. King couldn't remove the fear of failure. The king couldn't remove laziness, carelessness, self-comfort. The king couldn't remove those things. 
But the king had provided everything else in order that God's temple might be built. It goes down through three kings. From Cyrus, Dyrus, Art, Atus, all three kings. Artisarius, your name, right? Go through all three, but God provided through them for it. Only thing they couldn't do is get God's people to do. Even though all the provisions is there, couldn't get God's people to do. And they would do a little bit, stop a little, do a little bit, stop, do a little bit, stop, for different reasons. But I want you to catch this also, because it's important to catch. Verse 2, Zerubbabel's son, Asiathiel, and Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, responded by beginning the task. Leaders begin the task. Leaders set the example. Leaders roll up their sleeves and they get busy. Now, listen to what he says. The task of building the temple of God in Jerusalem, they started. And the prophets of God were with them. Not just giving direction, catch this other part, and help them. They were in there with them, doing it. So the Jewish leaders committed, continued their work. The leaders continued their work. And they were greatly encouraged by the preaching of Haggai. When you come and you see God at work, and you hear God at work, and you receive from God, God has an expectation upon you. If you see, hear, and receive, then God has an expectation upon your life and you doing something in His work. Now, Ezra was a scribe. But yet versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given to the people of Israel. He came up to Jerusalem from Babylon. And the king gave him everything he asked for. Because of the gracious hand of the Lord, his God was on him. Everything needed for the temple is given. I think the people got to be doing just be willing to work. Look at the workforce. God even provided the workforce. The workforce was made up of everyone who had returned from exile. Boy, everyone who had returned from exile. 
became part of the workforce. Starting as young as 20 years old, who began to lead in the rebuilding of the temple and the wall. Understanding these two things, the temple was the place of worship, the wall was protection. And they had to come to a place that worship was more important than the protection. So what is important to build first was the temple. Because your worship is more important than even your very life. Or you're trying to protect your life. Or you're trying to survive. What is more important is your worship to God than your survival in this life. Even though the people were afraid of the people around them. In Ezra 3.3 it says, Boy, the people were afraid of the local residents, yet they rebuilt the altar at its old site. You need to recognize something. You need to overcome your fear in order to obey God. You have to overcome your fear in order to obey God. God. Because fear will keep you from being obedient. Fear of your failures. Fear of your not being able to step up to the plate. Fear of your inabilities to perform. Your fears of what other people may say or how they might step into your life and do this or do that. That will stop you from performing is your fear. Haggai points out the weakness of God's people and what causes the distractions in their life. As we go through this, you ask yourself this. What causes your distraction in your service and your worship of the God that you say you love? What are those distractions that you have to get rid of in order for you to give God his time that you be pleasing in God's sight and that you really honor God in your life. When is the right time to do God's work? Go to Haggai chapter 1, verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. The people are saying it. Not God. God's providing everything. But the people are saying, this isn't the time. This isn't the time. This isn't the right time for us to move. We don't have enough strength. David is not on the throne here. We don't have all Jerusalem and the power. We don't have the armies of Jerusalem. We don't have the mighty men of David. We don't have all this stuff. But God said, it's time to rebuild my house. And what we do, we look around and we ask the question, uh, no, this ain't the right time. This isn't the time to do this because we don't have it all together. And the people are making a decision. And God is saying, build my house. And yet the people are saying, this isn't the time. Now understand this little principle here because it's so easy to miss this. 
they're not saying no. They're just saying it's what? Yeah. We're just going to put it off for a little while longer. We're going to push it on down the road a little while longer. Not saying no, but it's just not the right time. Well, when is the right time? When is the right time to do God's will and be obedient to God? When is that right time? And each one of us got to answer that for ourselves. Because, see, if God be for you, who can what? That's the right time when God's for you. When God has spoken to your heart and God has placed something in you, that's the time to move. That's the time to go forward. That's the time to get busy. And they're saying, it's not the right time. You can see it, but you will not do it. You can see the need in the church, but you won't do it. You can see that this needs to be done, but you won't do it. You can see that thing. But you won't put your hands on it to get it done. And guess what else? Not only will you see it sometime, you will hear about it. And still you won't do. You still won't do. You can hear about somebody really needing help. You can see that they need help. But you won't act. And the Lord said, if you do this unto the least of one, you have done it as unto who? Yeah. But it takes you and your will to do. You and your will to do. You can see it. You can hear it. And this is the point that is really sad. You can receive all of the ability and all that you have need of to perform it and you still won't do it. They saw the shape of the temple. They heard about the temple. Let's rebuild it. God has provided everything for them to get into the work and they still would not act upon it. And you're going to ask why. Why is it that when you see it, you hear it, you receive from God the ability to do it, but you still will not engage in the work? Now, the right time is when you see it, when you hear about it, and you have received from God the ability to do it. That's the right time to engage. That's the right time to help. That's the right time to get into the work. Because you see the need. You've heard about it. And God has given you the ability to perform it. In verse 2, he also brings out this little issue. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then go to verse 3. 
Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourself to be living in your paneled houses while the house remains a ruin? When you enter into the land and you live in houses you haven't built, when you eat of the fruit that others have labored for, when you drink from the wells that you have not dug, the Lord says, don't forget me in Deuteronomy. You ask this question, how far has God brought you and kept you? And are you in the stage of forgetting him? By all rights, this church shouldn't even be open. But by the grace of God, and by the provisions of God, and by the vision of God, this church continues to move on. It continues to move on. But when we get so comfort within these walls that we're not willing to do any more work in ministry, we're not willing to do or work at the will of God. Let me share something with you. This is not the finished work of God. This is just another phase of God. The house up there was not God's finished work, or we'd still be in the house. It was not God's finished work when he brought us into that house. It was only a phase that God took us through until this. And then the question is, what would God have us to do next? And the question is, are we ready to do it? Now, Give careful thought of your ways. It's mentioned twice in verse 5 and 7. He says, Give careful thoughts to your ways. In 5 he says, Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Look at verse 7. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thoughts to your way." You need to really consider your ways. How you're living for the Lord. What you're doing for the Lord. You need to really consider your ways in life. You need to really ponder and consider your decisions in life. Your choices in life. And the Lord says, consider your ways. Consider what you're doing. Consider what is important to you. Consider what is primary to you. Consider your priorities. Look over them constantly. Look over them. Consider your ways. When you don't consider your ways and really weigh what you're doing... You wind up wasting a lot of time doing nothing. When you're not really looking at your time and how you're spending it, it's just a waste of time that God loses your service at that point. And you're no longer really focused on the things of God. 
You're focused on who? Yourself, your comfort, what you desire to do at that moment. And he says, consider your ways. I was with James about two weeks ago. And we was on our bikes. And and James said, Pastor, you want to ride with me? I said, yes, let's go. And we left. And, and, And James had to work the next day. Now understand what he's doing here. What James is doing, he's not getting paid for at this time. We're riding the route where he's going to have to drive the trolley. He wants to check the bridges to see if he can get under them with the trolley. The next thing he's checking is the street wide enough for him to get the trolley down. The one area where he had a pickup at, we went up in there and we said there's not enough room to turn around. So we had to find another area in which he could turn the trolley around. And he had three stops that he had to go to to pick up people. But he went out and he investigated. Now he could have waited to that day in which he's on the clock and he's making some money to go out and do this with the trolley. And he could have got the trolley stuck and said, oh well. He could have got in the spot and went up that road, turned in there and found out, oh I can't turn around up in here. But because he investigated and he went out on his own time, not getting paid for it, and saw what he needed to do for the next day to accomplish what they were paying him for. He used his time, his energy, to go out and investigate the decisions that he was going to have to make. One of the bridges that we went under, I said, you know, Gene, just a week ago I was out here, and guess what? They had a truck because the, you could get under the first part of the bridge, you couldn't get under the second part of the end. And it was going up this hill, and they were stuck there. And then tore off almost half the truck's top. You want to go out. And sometimes you want to investigate before you make those decisions which way you're going to go. And that's what God's talking about. That you be thoughtful of your ways. You are not satisfied, he says. In that verse 6. Drop down in there with me. Look what he's saying. You have planted much, but have harvested little. Sometimes you can work hard, think you're gaining something, and all the time you're losing. You're losing. He said, you worked hard. Have you ever worked so hard and you stop and you say, what have I accomplished? And that's what he's talking about here. And he said, you're not satisfied. You're working hard, but not satisfied. You planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but never have enough. It's not that you're not doing. 
But you're not doing it the way God would have you to do it. You're not working at what God would have you to work at. Yeah, you just barely make it alone. And he says, you never have enough. Have you worked hard, but never have enough? And he goes on and says, you drink, but never have your fill. You're never satisfied. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You have all the essentials of life, but still you're missing. You're still missing. Because you're not where God wants you to be. You have all the essentials. You have. You're working. Boy. You're working hard. You're constantly at. But you're not going nowhere. Why? He says. You earn wages. Only to put them in a purse. With holes in it. Who's developed that hole? God. You think you're putting it up and God's blowing it away. You think you're getting ahead and God's sending you two steps backwards. You're breaking your back and sweating hard doing the fleshly thing but not doing God's will. And you wonder why we don't move forward. Give careful thought to your ways. Now, God's going to challenge them here. Now I want you to look at the challenge. Because he talked about them being comfortable in their own home, in their own luxury. And sometimes that's what we work for. We, look, we work for our luxuries. We look to have this thing and that thing. There was a time when I was a young man, yeah, the bigger the car, the, the more luxury, the better the ride and all that. The point is, can I get from A to B? So the Lord taught me a little escort will get me from A to B. And he brings them to that place. I want you to go through this with me in this verse 7 here. I want you to take close note of it. Put down some of the principles and steps that is going to be mentioned here. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Now, let me preference that by saying this. Before God asks you to do something, you need to really think about how you're going to answer God. You need to really think about how you're going to answer God. And God says, you need to consider your ways. Because, see, your ways are not my ways. You need to look at them now. Now, God's going to give them some things to do that pulls them out of their comfort zone. He's going to give them some things to do that can be difficult and hard. And things maybe they don't like to do. And he says, now, 
before you answer me, consider your ways. Because you don't consider your ways here. You put yourself in a position of prosperity or loss. You put yourself in the position being in God's favor or fighting against God. Consider your thoughts. You put yourself in the position where God blesses you or God takes away from you. Consider your thoughts. Consider your thoughts. So he comes down here and he says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountain and bring down timber. No, Lord. No, no, Lord. Lord, no. I'm not going to cut down no trees. Put that lumber on my back and bring it down. And plus, Lord, I'm no mountain climber. I can't climb no mountain. I didn't think about going up in the mountains. I don't even hike in the mountains. Up in the mountains, they got snakes up there. Up in the mountain, there's no level road and easy for me to walk. And the Lord says, go up into the mountain. Lord, it's not comfortable up there. I can sit in my home, lean back on my recliner, and I got my control, and I can just punch it and move, and I can say, Elaine, bring me some Kool-Aid, bring me a Pepsi, and and I can put my pajamas on, and I can be living, Lord, and you talking about going to the mountain? And you talking about going up there and be a little while. You want me to camp out in some mountain? Because I'm not going up in the mountain that day and be back home by evening most likely. And you want me to cut down a tree and they didn't have no chainsaw. And you want me to bring the timber back down? Lord, you put a river flowing downward where I can throw them in the water where they can wash on down. But he's saying, go up and cut the tree. Bring the lumber back down the hill. Now, consider your way before you answer me. What we don't understand is this. The Lord can make the task a whole lot harder. The Lord can make life totally uneasy for you. That going up in the mountains would be a wonderful thing compared to what I have to go through down here. And he says, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Give deep thought to it before you answer me. Because you're going to chart your course that either you're going to be working in my will or you're going to be living out of my will. Consider your ways. He goes on a little bit further. He says then, and, and build the house. Now, now, wait wait a minute, Lord. You got me going up this mountain, getting this timber, bringing it back down, and now you're going to tell me to build your house? 
Get some other folks now, Lord. I didn't did the hard work. Let somebody else get involved in this. And the Lord says, consider your way. I won't put no more upon you than what you can bear. I've given you the skills. I've given you the ability. I've given you the hammer. I've given you the saw. I've given you the mind to do it. Now the question is, is this, is there a will to do it? Is there a will to do it? And the Lord says, first, if there's a willing mind, it's acceptable unto him. That if you're willing to be obedient, God will provide everything for you. God will open the doors for you. God will do some amazing things for you. If you are just willing to do his will and work at the things that he has placed before you, And he says, be careful of how you answer. What you're going to do. Go to work building God's house. Go to work in God's ministry. Let me use Glenda for a moment. Glenda, you're going to be speaking where at? Where am I going to be speaking? See? But where at? On Raymond Street, off of South Main. And she's going to be speaking there. Do, do y'all recognize sometimes Glenda can't get too far from her breathing machine? Do you recognize that someday she can't even come outside? Do you recognize that sometime? All Glenda can do is stay in the bed. (laughs) But God says, Glenda, I want you to go speak over here. With all your condition and all your problems, I want you to go speak over here. Glenda's issue is this. Lord, if I'm obedient to you, you have to take care of me during that time. You have to take care of my body. You've got to give me the breath to speak. If you've never been someone who speaks, you don't realize how much breath, air it takes to really project. Especially when you already have problems breathing. But her obedience allows people to see God's strength. When you're obedient... You allow people to see God strengthening you in that work. Give careful thought to your ways and what you're going to do. Go to work building God's house, building God's ministry. Lord, I have other things to do. You don't know what's important on my schedule. Elaine and I, we got a date night. That's important, Lord. No, I want you to go to the hospital. Do I go to dinner first or do I go, go to the hospital? 
Lord, Elaine and I have planned this, and I love brother so-and-so, and he's asked me to come over and speak. And, and Lord, I thank you for the opportunity, but I think it would be better if I do this with Elaine or if I do this with my friend. And the issue is, are you taking care of God's business first? And that is not to say Elaine is not my business, but she's not the primary. God is. God is. And he comes back right there and he says, go build my house. God knows how busy you are. God knows all the things that you're doing. But the thing is, his work is important too. What he's called you to do is important too. And this should be primary in your life before anything else. Give careful thought to what you're going to do. Take the very last part of that verse now, because it's important. He simply says, Take the timber down, build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored says the Lord. Is it the Lord taking pleasure in a building, in some timber, some brick and mortar? Is God taking pleasure in his people being obedient to what he says? Is God being pleased seeing his people worship him? We're pleasing him. When we're doing his will, we're pleasing him. And then he talks about honor. That when you do what I ask, you honor me. When a child does what mom and dad says or asks of them to do, after they're past that age and out of their house, they honor what? Their mom and dad. How old are you, Terry? It's up there. See? But if mom say, get me a glass of water, what would you do? Yeah. Go get it yourself. You got two feet. What's wrong with you? No. Because I honor my mom and my dad. We just do it. When my dad would say, Gus, I need you to come in and scrub my back. Because the arms wouldn't get up there. I'm honoring him as my father when I go in and wash that back and do the things he has need of. When he asked me to get under the bed and pull something out, well, Dad, you got knees? Get on down there. Hey, Dad, I'm 60-something years old. I got problems getting up and down too. But he's 93, 94 years old. Big difference. When you do 
what your heavenly Father asked you to do, you honor Him. And when you honor Him, you please Him. You please Him. And there's no good thing that He will withhold from you. When you honor your earthly parents and you're obedient to them, they'll give you their very last. And if your earthly parents will do that, what would your heavenly Father do? You honor Him. And you bring pleasure to Him. Because you are obedient to Him. Then we get to Haggai's words of encouragement. And I want to run here in the next ten minutes. Because in that verse 12... It brings out the whole area again. Here you got the leadership up front. And from the leadership to the remnant. But it says, they all obeyed, the people obeyed. Because the example was set for them by who? Leadership even. Leadership is set. This is what God said. And then they do it. And then others follow. And because of their action, look what it says. The people feared the Lord. The people feared the Lord. And that's part of that verse 12. Remember when we start off in Ezra, they feared the people around them? Once you get the fear of the Lord, the fear of the people, <laughs> drop. It's dismissed. And then he goes on and he says... The message. And here's the words of encouragement. Here's where you have to believe. This is where you have to trust. This is where you have to see God for yourself. Not through the eyes of someone else. Not through the eyes of Pastor Brown. Not through the eyes of the elf. you got to see God for yourself and believe Him and trust Him. When He says, I will be with you. I'll be with you. I am with you. Do you believe that? I'm with you. It's not about how much you have or how much you don't have. It's not about how strong you are. It's not about your title. It's not about this or that. The question is, is this, is God with you? Is God with you? In Romans 8, 31 says, If God be for me, what? Who can be against me? I don't care if it's a thousand folks against me. If God is for me, I got the victory. Paul says, Boy, nobody stood with me. When I was in trial, when I was there, nobody support, nobody came along and stood with me. Everybody stood out from me. Nobody was going to come and say, that's my friend. I'm going to help my friend. But Paul says, God stood with me. Though nobody else was standing, God stood with me. 
me. There's some things you got to know about God for yourself. Not about what somebody's telling you. You got to know it for you. Because when the darkness comes in, you got to know that God has promised you he's going to be with you. And when nobody else is talking up for you, and nobody else is supporting you, and nobody else will stand with you, and nobody else will come along and help you, you got to know if God's planted it in your heart and you, and in your mind that you're going to do it. And you know this, God is standing there with you. That's the promise that God gave him. I'll be with you. How many of you believe that? How many of you accept that? How many of you go by that? See, God has taught me such an important lesson by being here. If he wants to do it, he's going to do it. I just got to be willing to step out in faith and believe that he's going to do it. And watch him do it. I'm the donkey. I'm the mule. I'm the worker. I'm the servant. I'm not the boss. And watch him do it. Why? Because his promise is, I'm with you. I'm with you. And then it says in that verse 14, because this is what has to happen. Sometimes you'll hear people say, well, why don't other people get busy? Why don't people get to doing this? Why is it that people's not at, in ministry? Why aren't people witnessing? Why aren't people doing this and doing that? Look what that verse 14 said. God stirred up their heart. Unless God stirs up the heart, unless God puts their focus on Him, unless they can see God for themselves, nothing's going to take place. Nothing. It says God stirred up their heart. God ministered to them. They came and they began to work. Why? God stirred up the heart. God did it. See, all the words of Pastor Brown will not steer your heart. All the words of Pastor Travis and all the teaching and all the exegesis is not going to move you. It is the Spirit of God steering your heart that will move you. Nothing else. Oh, you need the other. But that's not what moves you. It really is God. Then he says, in that chapter 2, just think about this for a moment. In verse 3, God asked them this question. Remember, the ones who are working are those he's bringing out of where? Captivity. How long were they in captivity? Seventy years. One generation. Now, the question is this. How many of you have seen the temple in its glory days? Now, some of you may have been taken also into captivity when you were five, six, seven. But you really didn't see 
the real glory of the temple of God. You may have saw something, but you can't remember it all. Because in 70 years, you got all these folks who have died off. And the question is now, who? Who of you is left who saw this house in the former glory? Stay with me in thought. Only thing we saw is just a run-down shack. How many of you moved up here or lived up here, say, from 59 on, here in West Akron area? I can remember when we went to school at Grace School, right down the bottom hill, and we couldn't even come up the hill. I remember, boy, if you lived where Roscoe lived, oh, man, you had money on Rainbow Drive. You lived in that area? You were a doctor, a lawyer? You were somebody making over $100,000? You had some money! Every person in the valley wanted to live on Rainbow Drive. (laughs) Long time ago. In his glory days. And yet, how many of us young people are living today that can remember those days? Who can remember when the Polskis, who owned Polskis downtown, mansion was across the street? Yeah, yeah. Hey. We used to sneak in his yard because he had apple trees, he had peach trees, he had cherry trees. And we'd come up to the zoo and we would jump that fence and get over into that thing <laughs> and pick up some stuff and get out of there. You know, the glory days. Who of you have lived to see the glory days? Stay with me in thought. And he moves a little further. He says, Does it, how does it look to you now? The temple isn't built really, not finished yet. Still got some more work to do, quite a bit more work to do. What does this thing really look like to you now? Now we talk about this area being the ghetto. Now we talk about this area being run-down homes. We, we talk about this. But in one day, this area was where everybody wanted to live. And his thing is, what does it look like to you now? Right now, what does it look like to you? How do you really see it? How do you feel about this run-down temple, torn-down walls? How do you really feel about it? Listen to what he says. Does it not seem to you like what? Nothing. Do me a favor for a moment. Look around this room. Does it look like nothing? We're not 125 strong. We're not 150 strong. We're not 300 strong. We don't have 1,000. But so as you look around, it looks like what? Nothing. 
this would not have been my dream of a church. Because as I look around, I can say, it's nothing. But experiencing what God has done over the years, I can say it's something. So my eyes can see one thing, which causes my mind to think one way. But when I know what God has done, it's something. And it says it still has a future that God is working out. Though I don't understand it. So people can come in here real quick, take a look at us and say, Oh, this is nothing. I'm going someplace where there's two, three hundred people. There's a thousand people. There's five hundred people. Not knowing the heart of this church. Not knowing what God has done in the history of this church. Not knowing what God has brought it through. Not knowing what God has given vision for. And we can sit and say, it's nothing. And God said, yeah, you look at it and you're saying this temple is Nothing. Look at what he says in verse 4. Before God says he's going to bring back the glory, look what he says. But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, one of the leaders. Be strong. You're my example. Be strong. Believe me. Trust me. Be strong. Or be strengthened by me which the Hebrew allows us to say. Be strengthened by me, Zerubbabel. And he goes on and he says, declared the Lord, be strong, O Joshua, another leader. Be strong. Be strengthened by me. Be strong, all you people of the land. Now, three times he's emphasizing being strong. First he says be strong to the leaders because the leaders need not to faint because they don't see or understand how everything is going to come together but believe and trust that God will provide and God's going to do it because he said it and he says be strong yeah you're looking at nothing but be strong And he didn't say, boy, I'm just going to put it all together for you. He says, be strong in the last part, even with the people now, be strong. And then he brings in a word that is surprising to them because he only says it one time compared to the times he said, be strong three times. He says this word only one time. He says, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And what No, Lord, no, no, no. I'll be strong, but I don't want to work, Lord. I'll be strong, but I don't want to bring no sweat, Lord. I'll be strong, and I'll stand up for you, Lord, but I don't want to carry no timber. I don't want to bring nothing down the hill. I don't want to build no building. I don't want to do this, but I'll stand and just be strong, Lord. Well, why in the devil would the Lord strengthen you to do nothing? God's encouragement, be strong. 
says it three times. Be strong. And a reminder, I am with you. Now, let's close out right here on this verse 5 and really catch this. This is what I covenant with you. When you came out of Egypt, none of these folks were alive when God brought them out of Egypt. Not one of them were even living, breathing, even knew about a God, Jehovah, when he made this covenant with them. And my spirit remains among you Do not be afraid. When the Spirit of God is living and dwelling in you, don't be afraid of doing what God has asked you to do. Why? The Spirit of God will equip you The Spirit of God will give you the ability. The Spirit of God will bring all the help that you have need of if you'll be faithful to the task that God has assigned to you. And he says, my spirit will be with you and don't be afraid because he understands fear will cause us to back up real quick. The fear of what we see will cause us to back up. The fear of what we hear will cause us to back up. The fear because we don't have the numbers will cause us to back up. The fear because people are against us will cause us to back up. The fear because I don't have the money in my pocket to do this will cause us to back up. All these fears will cause us not to be at the work of the Lord that he's called us to do. Is it important? Is God's work important? If there were just two of you in here, would God's work be so important that it would be incumbent upon you to do all that you can do with all your might? And you do it. And you believe him. And you trust him. That he's going to make a way for you. Consider your ways. Consider who you trust. Consider what you're believing. Consider what you're doing. And you catch that word, work, it goes right against the word laziness. God did not call us to be what? Yeah. But he created us to do what? To work. To work for his glory. To work to honor him. To work to please him. We work. Father, I thank you, Lord, that, Lord, you've given us the skills, the talents, 
the ability 